Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two of the detection of pancreatic cancer, potential pearls and pitfalls in daily practice. In part one, we left off talking about how one of the areas of pitfalls relates to duodenal pathology. And let me show you some examples. This was a patient who was referred to us for a pancreatic mass. Now there is a mass in the region of the head of the pancreas, but you'll notice it's homogeneous, it's smooth and it's round. There's no common duct dilatation and there's no pancreatic duct dilatation. Very, very smooth. That's not gonna be a pancreatic adenocarcinoma. I would agree occasionally neuroendocrine tumors can be well-defined and maybe aren't very vascular, so that might be a thought. Here's the lesion on the coronal view. It's not invasive. There's some vascularity in it, but it's simply pushing on the portal vein, not involving the portal vein. And here is the arterial MIP image, and you see the uh, patient's celiac and hepatic and GDA all look good. There may be a touch stretched, and maybe there's a little bit of neovascularity here, so there's something going on, but it's not the typical appearance of an aggressive tumor. It's not the appearance, surely, of adenocarcinoma or even a neuroendocrine tumor. Here it is again, and that was a very nice example of a GIST tumor. Now, when we think about GIST tumors, and I'm showing you this case to contrast it, GIST tumors commonly occur, small bowel GIST tumors, in the duodenum. When they're larger, they tend to be hypovascular. When they're smaller, they tend to be hypervascular. And that's true wherever just tumors occur in the small bowel. In this case, you might say, well, I'm looking at a neuroendocrine tumor of the pancreas. You also can say, well, maybe I'm looking at a carcinoid tumor of the duodenum. I think it's somewhat tricky. Here it is very nicely on the volume rendering and MIP imaging. And here it is again, and interestingly, see a little bit of common duct dilatation, but just see this vascular lesion on the duodenum, and it's a little bit exophytic. Now, when I'm looking at distinguishing GIST and carcinoid, when you have a small bowel carcinoid, often you'll have a mesenteric mass that makes it easy. But sometimes, particularly in the duodenum, GIST and carcinoid can look very similar. The only thing that helps me is that GIST tend to grow exophytic, and carcinoids are intraluminal. This lesion seems to be growing exophytic in part, and although the vascularity can be very much like a carcinoid, this was a GIST tumor. Just a very nice example of a GIST tumor, and you see the vascularity and some of its exophytic component. But to be honest, if you said this is a carcinoid, I would say great. What you should look carefully and recognize this was not a pancreatic adenocarcinoma or pancreatic neuroendocrine tumor. And here it is again on the cinematic rendering, very, very nicely shown. Now, another example. When you look quickly here, this looks like a pancreatic mass. And yes, I don't see duct dilatation, but maybe just because I'm down by the uncinate and you're only showing a couple images. So surely I would be thinking about a pancreatic mass. And here it is in the coronal view, and I'm still thinking about a pancreatic mass. Maybe you then start saying, well, it's slightly vascular, maybe it's neuroendocrine. But then you look at, there's an interface actually between the mass and the pancreas. There's the pancreas, there's the mass. And this mass is exophytic coming off the duodenum. Now perhaps you can say, is it coming off the duodenum or near the duodenum? If it's near duodenum, you might say it's nodes, but it really looks like it's coming off the duodenum and then you're in the category of just tumor. Again, you can see some of its vascularity here. You also see some of the difficulty in making the diagnosis. Another example, here's a GIST tumor 
rising near the ampulla, you can see why you can confuse it with a carcinoid or a uh, gist tumor. You also can see why it looks like a neuroendocrine tumor of the pancreas. You look at all of the images. I think the coronals can be helpful. The epicenter seems to be duodenal wall second portion medially, but I have to admit if you had a tumor coming off the pancreas pushing in, it could be a very difficult diagnosis. And here it is again as you look at the MIP imaging. Here's one of the feeding vessels, very nicely shown. And there's the patient's mass right there. So a really nice example of this process. But again, you can see on these narrow views why you confuse it with a neuroendocrine tumor of the pancreas, why it could be a gist, and why it could be a carcinoid. Now, another thing to remember is you can get nodes in the peripancreatic region. Typically, lymphoma occasionally metastatic melanoma, and they're usually large. And then nodal spread from tumors like right colon cancer, particularly recurrent colon cancer. Now, when you have lymphoma, it can simulate a pancreatic mass, but then at the end of the day, there's usually much more involvement. So here's something infiltrating the body of the pancreas, encasing the mesenteric vessels, both on the celiac and SMA side. But interesting, for such a large mass, you don't see duct dilatation. Now, you commonly will not see duct dilatation in lymphoma. You may see intrahepatic duct dilatation if tumor grows into the hilum, like this tumor does. You also see involvement of the portal vein and SMV because tumors from lymphoma, particularly B-cell, can be very infiltrative. And again, a very nice example. You would be considering pancreatic cancer, but with the extent of involvement, the infiltration and appearance, you gotta consider lymphoma. Just a really nice example of lymphoma, and it extends up into the liver. That infiltrating process almost makes you think of cholangiocarcinoma. Of course, as you scan further down with the bulky adenopathy, the large mesenteric adenopathy, really puts you in the lymphoma category. You can see nodes with pancreatic cancer. It's common to see peripancreatic nodes or nodes in the portal cable space but it's rare to see nodes beneath the renal hilum, and it's surely rare to see bulky nodes, which is typically what you see with lymphoma. And here you can see it again very nicely, the nodes in the aortic cable space, and how large the nodes are, and how it forms almost a sheet of tumor growing down into the mesentery. And here's that same case, cinematic, the low density, the higher signal nodes, again, extending into the porta hepatis, peripancreatic region, and periaortic zone. Another example, again, quick look, pancreatic mass, but it's too homogeneous. Adenocarcinoma is usually hypodense. A tumor that large would surely cause duct dilatation. I don't see duct dilatation. You see how it's infiltrating. The patient's celiac and the patient's hepatic and splenic are encased, but not infiltrated and narrowed as you typically see with adenocarcinoma. And now as you go a little bit higher, you can see how the tumor goes into the porta hepatis region. Very much good definition for a patient with lymphoma. Nicely shown here on the coronal views as well. And here it is on the cinematic rendering. Again, a really nice example of that set of images. And again, uh, very nicely shown with cinematic. Differential attenuation, separating it from the normal pancreatic gland. And here's showing you as I change the window, sort of hide the tumor, but focus on vascular involvement. I'm showing you the portal vein encasement and narrowing of the portal vein. Now, colon cancer I mentioned 
particularly right colon cancer, particularly recurrent colon cancer, has nodes in the portal caval space. Here's a patient with a large mass in the peripancreatic region. You can see there's some spotty calcifications. That's very good for a mucinous tumor. You also see the periodic adenopathy. This is, again, a nice example of something simulating the pancreatic mass, but you can see the pancreas is displaced. There's no common duct dilatation. There's no pancreatic duct dilatation. Bulky periodic nodes, bulky peripancreatic nodes, tumor infiltrating into the porta hepatis. Very nice example of adenopathy from metastatic colon cancer simulating a pancreatic tumor. And again, the calcifications are really good for mucinous tumor. And if you look at these images in the bottom left image, you can see that the patient has, that's the patient's primary tumor, that's the colon cancer, and these are a bunch of nodes also in the mesentery. Now, pancreatitis, we know at times can be challenging. Separating pancreatitis from cancer can be a problem. Remember, 5% of patients with pancreatitis will have superimposed pancreatic cancers, and they may be present together. The challenges, autoimmune pancreatitis is almost a special challenge and particularly difficult. Similarly, groove pancreatitis, less frequent, but can be a problem. And just the classic cases of acute and chronic pancreatitis, where it's really hard at times to separate inflammation from a tumor, and you don't want to overcall, and you don't want to undercall the presence of disease. So let's look at this case. This patient was felt to have pancreatic cancer. You look at the body and tail of the pancreas, they're different density than the head, and they have like a halo around them. That halo or cigar-shaped appearance, very nicely shown on the cinematic coronal views, is kind of classic. And that's a really good appearance for autoimmune pancreatitis. Autoimmune pancreatitis can simulate pancreatic cancer because it can be focal, it can cause duct dilatation, it can cause weight loss, it can cause elevated CA199, can really simulate it on all fronts. But again, the edematous changes, the lack of pancreatic duct dilatation and the halo allows you to be definitive about autoimmune pancreatitis. And here's just one more set of images and another set. Again, the texture of the gland and the halo surrounding the gland are particularly well seen on the cinematic rendering. Here's one more view. Now, chronic pancreatitis. Chronic pancreatitis will call calcification. You'll see textural change. And what happens is because the patients have been in the hospital many times, and it says chronic pancreatitis, there's a tendency to simply just blow off the images as chronic pancreatitis. But I will have to admit, this area looks too mass-like. The attenuation is too low density. And that was actually a site of carcinoma in a patient with chronic pancreatitis. The vessels on the arterial side look good. On the venous side, they look good too. Remember, on the venous side, you can always get, and on the arterial side as well, vessel changes from chronic pancreatitis, whether it's strictures or stenosis. You can get irregular vessels, so that can be challenging as well. But again, we look for textural change, and in this example, we just don't see the textural change uh, over here, but right here, look at the difference from here to here. And you have to worry about a cancer. Sometimes you're gonna be wrong. Sometimes you'll overcall things. You'll ask for EUS and biopsy, but you need to be very careful. Now, there are a number of things we can do with problem solving. I've shown you a few cases today of 3D volume rendering. I've showed you cinematic rendering. I 
can talk about radiomics and deep learning. Those are things we're working on to improve our ability to detect disease. We also can use other imaging modalities if we can't figure things out, whether it's MR or it's PET-CT. Obviously, ERCP or EOS with biopsy can be very helpful in indeterminate cases or where you want to be definitive as to the etiology of a mass. And of course, percutaneous biopsy can be done. Now, if I think about pitfalls beyond the pancreatic head, essentially everything I've showed you has focused on the pancreatic head. There are some unique things. Obviously, uh, we can have small tumors being missed, but there's some special problems. One, splenules by the tail of the pancreas simulating neuroendocrine tumors. We can have gastric masses like GIST tumors hanging off, which they typically do, but simulating body or tail of pancreatic masses and can be somewhat confusing. And we can have mesenteric masses simulating pancreatic masses. So there are a number of pitfalls. Here's an example of a lesion in the tail of the pancreas. It's hypervascular on the arterial phase imaging right there classic for a neuroendocrine tumor. Yes, you could have thought, could this be a splenule, but it's enhancing more than the pancreas. Remember, splenules should look identical to the pancreas. Here it is on venous phase imaging, changes its washout appearance, a one centimeter neuroendocrine tumor. I think the challenge here would be confusing this or missing this lesion because you think it's a splenule. You don't want to make that mistake. Once you know it's pancreas, then I think it's pretty easy to really focus on a neuroendocrine tumor. Here it is again on the volume rendering, very nicely showing you that lesion. And here it is again on the cinematic. And as I change the cinematic views, I can accentuate that lesion. Here it is again. We get a really nice example. Another case, small neuroendocrine tumors. I don't think they're much of a problem in the sense one cm or less, you often will continue to follow these. Again, you can think about, could this be a splenule? You look at enhancement, is it the same? But it's anterior, it's more likely gonna be a tumor, and this was a one centimeter neuroendocrine tumor. You can see it very nicely as you do texture mapping with cinematic rendering, and it really does nicely stand out. Again, it's an important lesion not to miss. There's a lot of work going on how to manage neuroendocrine tumors. A lot of people now are thinking one cm or less, you leave alone. The question is one to two centimeters, what do you do? Another example, this one's trickier because it's coming off the tail, maybe it's arising from the tail. You wanna look very carefully at the enhancement. If it's a splenule, it'll enhance identical to the spleen on both arterial and venous phase imaging. Here it doesn't on either of the phases. It comes close and arterial, and maybe you think about that possibility, but this was a neuroendocrine tumor. Another example, here's an incidental neuroendocrine tumor in the head of the pancreas. It's really subtle, there it is, but it's best seen on the coronal view. So again, adenocarcinoma and other pancreatic tumors like neuroendocrine can easily be missed. The importance of going beyond the axial imaging, looking at multiplanar, looking at coronal, looking at 3D imaging all becomes important because you can see the multiphase acquisition was very valuable in this patient. Now, what other tumors can really cause havoc? We talk about spend tumors as tumors that are uncommon, they're usually younger females, but we see them in males 
And we see them in patients who are 50s and 60s. Here's a lesion tail of pancreas. It looks cystic, looks solid, maybe calcifications. I have to admit, if it's a young patient, I would say spen. If it's over 40, I would have said a neuroendocrine tumor. I don't think you would confuse this with an adenocarcinoma. The calcifications, the enhancement are all things that push you to neuroendocrine or in the right age group, perhaps, push you to a spend tumor. Again, nicely shown with the cinematic rendering. Here's a good example. This patient was referred in for a pancreatic mass. And, you know, um, I agreed. It looks like a pancreatic mass. It looks like it's coming off the pancreas. Patient was in their 40s and thought maybe it was a spend. It doesn't look like an adenocarcinoma, obviously, and doesn't look like neuroendocrine. It's not vascular at all. But then when you look at it more carefully, it comes near the stomach, but I swear it's coming off the pancreas. This was resected. This ended up being a gist tumor of the stomach. Another example. Here's a patient with a large mass by the tail of the pancreas. It's pushing on the stomach. It has some enhancement to it. And you can imagine why when you look at this lesion, it's very easy to say this is a gist tumor. Gist tumors are exophytic. They're solid, fairly homogeneous. And you can swear it's coming off the pancreas or coming off the stomach. What do you think? Well, I don't know. It sure looked, you know, like this time, I would say it's stomach, not pancreas. This was actually a gist tumor. So you can see gist tumors can be confused with pancreatic masses. Pancreatic masses can be confused with gist tumors. Just, sometimes they just barely touch the stomach. Sometimes they abut the stomach. It's really a challenge. Sometimes it's hard to say whether it's a neuroendocrine tumor or a retroperitoneal mass or a pancreatic mass, all potential pitfalls. Now, the good news is it, none of them are leave-alone lesions, so you're going to make the right diagnosis in time, or maybe the pathologist will. Now, what about extra pancreatic pathology? Now, obviously, when you look at the pancreas, sometimes you see other findings that help you. You might see liver mets, and then it's more likely an adenocarcinoma than simply chronic pancreatitis or autoimmune pancreatitis. You look for other signs. If you see a renal mass, then maybe it looks like lymphoma. So again, there's many things to think about. Here's a good example also of a patient who was sent in to evaluate the adrenals. Well, the left adrenal is fat. That's a myelolipoma. But then you look more carefully at the right adrenal, and there's a vascular lesion, which was a pheo. But then you look more carefully, and there's a mass in the head of the pancreas, which is an adenocarcinoma. I show this case to make the point that when you're looking at a pheo, you need to look at everything else. Not that pheos are associated with pancreatic adenocarcinoma, but just the point being the same age range, you need to be really careful in making sure you don't miss a pancreatic mass by the satisfaction of search. You found your pheo, the patient was hypertensive, but you missed the thing that was gonna kill them was this potentially resectable pancreatic adenocarcinoma. So again, here's the pheo with cinematic, and then we show nicely with cinematic the pancreatic mass. So it's a matter of looking carefully. One of the things with missing pancreatic adenocarcinomas is the request didn't say rule out pancreatic carcinoma. Then you do fairly well. It's when it says abdominal pain or vague symptoms or left lower quadrant pain or right lower quadrant pain or hypertension like this case, and the pancreatic cancer is there, though it really wasn't the reason for the study. 
So you need to be very careful to be able to pick up that under two centimeter potentially curable head of pancreas lesion seen nicely on the cinematic rendering. Now there's some other things I could talk to you about recurrent tumors. At times you can be confused by things like omental infarction. Now, omental infarcts commonly occur when you do a laparoscopic distal pancreatectomy and splenectomy. But this patient had colon surgery, had an omental infarct, and you can see at first glance, you say, well, it's a pancreatic mass or a peripancreatic mass. Maybe it's a tumor coming off the pancreas, but that wouldn't be the look for adenocarcinoma. And when you had the history and you look at all of the images, you realize it was near but not from the pancreas. Everything looked great, and with the patient's history of surgery and the appearance, an omental infarct was the correct diagnosis. And we've seen a lot of omental infarcts, particularly post-distal pancreatectomy and splenectomy, so it's something you need to be aware of. It's a wonderful pitfall. You can see on this set of images, which is venous, the lower density zones within the mass, and that's a common appearance. So some conclusions. Not everything that looks like pancreatic cancer is pancreatic cancer. And the flip is you may miss pancreatic cancer if you don't look very carefully. You need to be very, very careful. Careful analysis will allow the correct diagnosis in most cases. Again, sometimes you can't separate pancreatic cancer from other pancreatic lesions or peripancreatic lesions, but that's a small problem because you're going to have to do a biopsy anyway. You'll get the answer right. What you don't want to do is miss the pancreatic cancer. Then the patient's survival goes from possible to unlikely. And you're not always going to be right. But with experience, with looking at many cases, look at our teaching file, listen to this lecture. And with that, I think you'll do great. And with that, that's the end of part two. And have a great day. If you like this video, make sure to subscribe to the CTSS YouTube channel. You can also visit us at ctss.com for even more videos, plus quizzes, pearls, protocols, and oh so much more. We're also in the App Store and have well over a dozen apps for iPhone and iPad, all completely free. Thanks for watching.